song congregation where when we hit that word, yes, I am, I'm going to go, yes, right? I, I just think of that every time we sing, uh, yes. So if you ever see me do that, that's why, all right? We're uh, continuing a series of messages in, um, uh, about um, L, our God, right? The, the name L is um, often a precursor to another part of the name. Like last week, we talked about Elohim, and we're affectionately calling this season the season of Lent, the season of Elnt, of course. And, and today, we look at a very specific story, uh, Genesis chapter 16. If you would turn there, Genesis chapter 16. We're going to be actually reading that entire chapter, not quite yet, but um, in a few moments, Genesis chapter 16, as we begin a study of the name for God this week. Beloved in Christ, while it makes for a good story, this sermon is not about Elvis Francois, a sailor from Dominica who was repairing his boat near the island of St. Martin in the Caribbean. Elvis and his boat were suddenly pulled out to sea. Bad weather. Elvis spent 24 days, 24 days lost at sea. Elvis could not see his way back to shore for anything. Elvis spelled out the word H-E-L-P, help, into the hull of the boat that's back of the boat, and wonderfully a plane crossing over saw his sailboat and understood that Elvis was in trouble. And the plane alerted authorities. Elvis was rescued by the Colombian Navy 700 miles southwest from where he started. He survived by very sparingly eating, or is it drinking, or slurping even, a bottle of ketchup and some garlic powder and some chicken stock cubes that he mixed with water when it rained. 24 days, he was rescued way out in the middle of the Caribbean Sea where no one else could see him. Heinz, the ketchup company, is going to buy him a new boat. Truly, they searched social media, they put it out there, what they intended to do, and everyone loves a good rescue story, so people in earnest saw fit to share, share, share his story. Eventually, they tracked him down. Sermon's not about L, this. Then again, did God know where Elvis was? Did God see Elvis those 24 days? Neither is the sermon about Elroy. I mean, Elroy, when I first started studying for this message, I couldn't help it. He's the only Elroy I know, or you might know him as Relroy. The reruns are my generation, the Jetsons. I hummed and sang and do 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 for a week or so. Meet George Jetson. What's the next line? His boy. Yeah, it's the only Elroy I know. I, I saw that show's reruns faithfully during my childhood. <laughs> What a TV show for a kid who loved to think about the future stuff like flying cars and space needle apartment buildings and moving sidewalks. It was our very own Back to the Future movie short every week. The sermon's not about Elroy or the Jetsons. Then again, you know how that crazy cartoon starts? You can Google anything. It starts from the point of view of the audience seeing the location of planet Earth from 
trillions of light years away, and the music by Hoyt curtain ramps up as you go zooming towards planet earth and zero in on the Jetson family. Along the way, you see the entire universe with a God's eye view. Sermon's not about Elroy, though. It is about the second name of God we are being introduced to that starts with L, E-L, in our Elton series. L and it looks just like Roy. You see that on your bulletins, but it's pronounced El-Ra-I, or El-Ra-I. El-Ra-I, you gotta get that E in there, that I, which makes the sound of an E. And if you didn't read your bulletin, if you didn't notice the sermon title up here before the service, if you didn't get all the hints I just gave talking about Elvis and El-Roy and the Jetsons, well, let's just get it out there, El-Ra-I, means the God who sees me. And what a story God tells us in which this new name for God is introduced. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah, Sarai said. So Abram had been living in Canaan. So after Abram had lived in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall, give him, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The Elvis Lost at Sea story was, of course, about a man who was desperate, in a desperate situation. He was slurping from a ketchup bottle, state of desperation. Well, here is Hagar. That's what she ends up in, in a state of desperation. Her mistress, Sarai, Father Abraham's wife, has mistreated her, and she flees. Think of it. She is alone. She is impoverished. She's a slave, after all. Sarai's slave. A maidservant, as we sometimes say. She is alone, she is impoverished, and she is pregnant. And Spangler says it like this. There's almost no worse nightmare for a woman. Alone, impoverished, and pregnant. She is desperate. It was typical for that day, wives who were barren, arranging for their maidservant, their slave girl, to try to conceive a child with their husband so that Abram and Sarai would have a child, a son, an heir. That child would be considered Sarai's legal offspring. It was a typical thing to do back then. But when Hagar saw she was pregnant, that's the literal Hebrew word used there in verse 4. When Hagar knew she was pregnant is literally when she saw she was pregnant. Interesting choice of words when you know what title Hagar will eventually give to God. But Hagar is in desperation. Now, what will she do alone, impoverished, and pregnant, desperate, until she meets the Lord? An angel of the Lord has found her. God went looking for her. God saw her. God assured her. God reassured her. God gave her hope. God sent her back home to Sarai. And of all things, after God spoke to her, God sees fit to tell us that she gave a title to God. Speaking to him, she says, you are the God who sees me. You are El Ra'i. And she adds, for I have now seen the one who sees me. Literally, I have now seen the back of the one who sees me. Her life is changed. She goes home, gives birth. Her desperation has ended for now. Because she met El Ra'i, the God who sees me. God sees me. God sees you. God sees all of us. The psalmist tells us in so many psalms the same thing. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Your eyes saw my unformed body. You search me, God, and know my heart. Psalm 121. The Lord watches over my coming and going, both now and forevermore. King David knew he was dealing with the God who saw him. Jesus said it. Matthew 10. Two sparrows are sold for a penny. They're practically worthless. God sees them. Not one of them falls to the ground outside your Father in heaven's care. Think of it. That's desperation. A sparrow falling to the ground, not flying to the ground, falling in desperation. And the verse goes on to say, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God sees each individual hair so clearly. God can count them. 
But the point is, in times of desperation, what time of desperation have you been in lately? Or are in right now? Or will be in sometime soon? What's your desperation? A diagnosis no one wants? A marriage where you're not wanted? A job with a salary that each week leaves you wanting? What's your desperation? God is El Rai. He is the God who sees me. Desperate Hagar told us. Then there's that Elroy TV cartoon, Elroy Jetson. What was that all about? How it started again? How did that start? From way out, trillions of light years from Earth. And the camera zooms toward Earth at breakneck speed until we see the Jetsons in their flying car. And there's George Jetson's boy, Elroy. Elroy. That's, that's way out there. Far out in space-time, that far out in space-time speaks of a God who sees everything from time eternal in the past, present, and time eternal into the future. And here we are in Hagar's story. And what does God ask her? Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? God knows the answer to those questions. He knows she's been a slave girl of Sarai's. He calls her that. He knows where she's come from. And then he proceeds to tell Hagar what is to come, where she will go next, and what will happen. You will give birth to a son. You'll name him Ishmael. He's going to be a troublemaker, and trouble will find him. And by the way, I'll give you so many descendants in the future, they'll be too numerous to count. But right now, you've got to go back, and you've got to submit to Sarai. God knows her past, her present and her future. It reminds me so much of the woman at the well story in the New Testament, doesn't it? Jesus knew her past, her present, and her future, just like God knew Hagar's. Well, look at that. Well, I'll be. Hagar is talking with God at a well in our story. <laughs> Forever named the well of the living one who sees me. Bir Lahai Rai. She names the well, too. The God who sees me. God not only sees me in my times of desperation, God sees me, sees you, sees all of us from time eternal past, time eternal present, and time eternal future. Listen to the psalmist once more, Psalm 33. Listen. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth, observes all their deeds. Truly, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him to deliver their soul from death. Could have been written by Hagar. The God who sees me, my desperation, my past, my present, my future. Yep, that's God, all right. Where have you been? And where are you going? Where are you right now, beloved? God sees you in the here and now, 
in the present, and God sees where you've been, and God sees where you're going. That's good to know about God, El Rai, isn't it? God sees us in all directions of time, all at once, past, present, and future. He must. The story, in fact, teaches that even more so that we more so than what we touched on already. Because listen carefully, you'll need to, believe me, you'll need to listen carefully right now. Hagar's granddaughter with Abraham, so we're thinking ahead here. Her granddaughter with Abraham, the daughter of Ishmael, marries Abraham and Sarai's grandson. Isaac's son, Esau. Why is that important? It's because that line coming from Abram and Hagar and Abram and Sarah, they become the Ishmaelites, folks, sometimes called the Midianites. Now, the Ishmaelites, Midianites are the same folks who purchase Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, great-grandson of Abraham, Joseph was, effectively saving Joseph from dying in an empty well cistern that his jealous brothers threw him into. And the Ishmaelites bring him to Egypt, the nation that will, not right away, but later on, the nation that will enslave the people of Israel. Now try to get it straight. An Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, Abraham's and her descendants, and eventually Sarah's, bring Joseph, another of Sarah and Abraham's descendants, to the land of slavery, Egypt, where Joseph's descendants will eventually become enslaved, Egyptian slavery, and God will eventually exodus them out of slavery, free them. God sees, saw all of that past present, future. I can hardly keep that one single curious fact straight in my own mind that the grandkids of these three people gave birth to people who saved Joseph, a great grandkid of two of them, but saved him to a place where his descendants would eventually become slaves, just like Hagar was, his great grandmother. I can't keep that straight, that that reality very straight in my brain. It's hard to see it. God, on the other hand, sees every curious fact like that from eternity and sees it perfectly. That's good to know about God, isn't it? The God who sees me. El Rai. Do you think God... El Rai sees what we've been hearing a lot about lately in the Grand Rapids area. I'm sure you've heard it on the news, read it, factories, either ignoring the reality or being fooled by the reality of or turning a blind eye to the reality of basic human trafficking of migrants and participating in it. And it's not just a few kids here and there and young people, but thousands. And, and some of the factories in our own little neighborhood of the greater Grand Rapids area are putting kids to work who are well under 18. They're 12, 13 years old, being sponsored by many people who don't care about them at all. They are released at the southern border. Doesn't matter your political leanings about the southern border. It's a mess. But kids, Guatemalan kids, for example, and others who will end up in gangs if they stay in Guatemala or they come here all alone and fall asleep in school or drop out because after a few hours of school they are forced daily 
to work 12-hour shifts at factories and are maimed by machinery they don't know how to use or they themselves are too little to use. They work because their families back home are desperate and starving. They work also because their sponsors demand to be repaid for giving them places to live. There's not a lot of hope for these kids. They are in a state of desperation. Churches, Christian organizations, schools do their best, but there's a whole lot of systemic evil to battle here. And yet we still say, we must, we must admit and trust in the God who sees me. El Rai, who sees them, who sees each one, who sees their desperation, the desperation of each one, and who sees how human trafficking will finally end. God sees the future of every single one of those kids working in those factories. He not only sees their desperation, he sees their past, their present, and their future eternally. This story of Hagar, the slave girl, who had the privilege of giving a name to God, imagine that. She gave that name to God. It's the only place the only place in God's word where that name is used of God. Elohim, as we learned last week, that name's all over the place. El-Rai, just here once in this story. It's all we need, though. This story of Hagar assures us that somehow, someway, God sees all of it. The desperation, yes, but also the past, the present, the future sees all of it, sees all these young lives, and we trust one day, one glorious day, will end the wrong that seems oft so strong. Amen. And of course, God for sure sees one thing more sees our desperation, sees our past, present, and future for everything and everyone, but sees one thing more. We get a hint of it when God corrects Hagar for her behavior and how she treated Sarai. She despised her, even though the feeling was likely mutual, and Sarai wasn't at all kind to Hagar, and Abraham turned a blind eye. When Hagar saw she herself was pregnant, she despised Sarai, and God told her, you need to go back, and you need to submit to the one you despise. And later on in chapter 21, Hagar's son, Ishmael, a teenager by that time, five chapters later, mocked little Isaac. Sarah and Abraham's son, and God saw that too, and over time worked with Ishmael, chapter 21 tells us. God was with him as he grew up. But God saw that sin. God sees our sins. Sees them when they are out in the open for all to see. But more than that, God sees what we try to hide from him and others. God sees what we do in the dark, in private. God sees what we sure hope will never make it on stage for all to see on Judgment Day, but it will. And God sees it already now. God sees it already now. He is the God who sees me, 
Say that to yourself. He is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees me. <sighs> Maidservant Hagar of all people gave God that name. The God who sees me. And that means God sees our sin too. Can't stop there though, can we? He sees our sin. What is he going to do about it? So I have another story to tell you. It's a story of good news. But it's a hard story too. Gary and Bonnie Witherall, missionaries in Lebanon, missionaries to displaced Muslim communities, and they loved ministering to them, slowly but surely getting to know them and tell them about Jesus. But then 9-11 happens, 2001. And the people they ministered to are jumping up and down with joy as the buildings in New York come crashing down. Gary and Bonnie stayed. They still loved these folks. They desperately wanted them to know about Jesus. They stayed against the advice of other missionaries and their team. They stayed. A year later, Gary got a phone call from a hysterical friend telling him that Gary's wife was shot. His wife was a nurse and cared for the Muslim women. Loved them. Cared for them. They loved her because she loved them. Gary runs a mile to the place his wife worked. There are police, special forces all over the place, and he runs right through them until he reaches the room where he knew his wife would be. He sees blood everywhere, and two special forces pick him right up and bring him to another room and told him his wife had been killed. Surely, Gary would leave Lebanon now. At that moment, at that moment, Gary, who never had been charismatic or an assembly of God type Christian, said he audibly heard a voice, the voice of Jesus, who told him, you can either let this move you from anger to hatred or you can forgive and truly love these people. And Gary says, I listen to that voice. And in that moment, in that exact moment, it was as if I were seeing them, every person carrying a gun right then. It was as if I were seeing them from high upon a cross with the blurred vision of blood and tears and sweat coming down my face. In those moments, I saw my wife's murderer through Jesus' eyes. And I heard the words of Jesus as, as he saw his own crucifiers and all those who had sentenced him. I heard his words coming out of his mouth. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And also you. And he said, I realized in those moments that Jesus from the cross 
also said those very words about me. I forgive you, Gary. And in the days that followed, Gary realized that he had been given a gift. To see truly what it was to be forgiven by Christ on the cross. What love it took as every sin was endured in agony. I see you. I see your sin. I forgive you. In the days and years that followed, Gary continued to minister. He has a new wife and four children. He eventually left Lebanon, but he got that glimpse, a momentary glimpse of what it was like for Jesus to offer that forgiveness. And because of that, he was able to truly offer forgiveness to those who slaughtered his wife. And it was immediate. In Hagar's story, we see the God who sees me seeing my sin. And in Christ, we see what he did. I forgive you because I love you. So I think you see it too, that's, that that's where we need to be. As close to where Gary Witherall was in that story as we can be, realizing something about ourselves, that the God who sees us is Jesus. He is the God who sees us. Think of it as the blood and sweat from that crown of thorns ran down his head, blurring his eyes, blurred with blood from that cross. He saw every single one of us. He saw every single sin. He saw us, looked right at us, and said, I forgive you. I forgive you, Roger. I see all your sins. I see right through you. And I forgive you. Roger, put in your own name, friends. While he was in agony, while he was losing his battle with life, while he was enduring the pain in his wrists and ankles, while he endured his bare, torn flesh grinding into the cross, his literally bloodshot and blood-filled eyes still could see us and every one of our sins. And the God who saw us that day saw our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our attitudes, all of it, saw all of it. And with unfathomable love, El Rai said, I forgive you. I see you. I see it all. And I still forgive you you because I love you. And that, beloved, not only speaks good news to us about God's forgiveness of us, it also speaks to us about how we must see, truly see, and forgive others. That's where we need to be. That's where we have to be to be able to do that. We need to be at the cross 
as close to the cross as we can be to forgive as we have been forgiven. We need to see our way there to the cross every single day. Amen. God who sees me, El Rai, you've spoken to us today already. Speak one more word of yours into our hearts and minds now. As you tell us what you say in your word in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, that your eyes, the eyes of the Lord, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. El Rai, let our hearts be fully committed to you. See us. See all who are fully committed to you. See us in our desperate times. See us in our joyful times. See us in each present moment. See our pasts. See our futures. See our sins. And then forgive us. Give us hope, a future. Give us the assurance that even as you saw us from the cross with blood blurry eyes, you saw us with such love. You see us now, right now, with the same. Take us to the cross, El Rai so that we in turn, as you have forgiven us, can see others and forgive them. Because of Jesus, we can pray this. Amen.